welcome to Two Creations, the Asian American podcast where the Joy Luck Club meets drunk history. I'm your host, Nancy Lee. And I'm Cindy Yep. Today on Two Creations, we're telling stories about escape from the motherland. That's right, immigration. Our own stories and stories from history. And we're telling them the best way we know how drunk. Well, first off, before we get this kicked off, we wanted to thank everyone for listening and supporting to Crasians. Yay! This is our 10th episode. Oh my god, I can't believe it. It's been 10 episodes already. We want to throw out a major thank you shout out to our man, Dan Tashira Gomez. Dan the man. He is our editor, sound engineer, shoulder to cry on. I also want to throw out a thank you to our listeners and also the listeners who give us feedback. We really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of my really good friends, Antoine, who's of Haitian descent, shared with me why he loves two Crasians, and he's not even Crasian. He's Crasian at heart. He He's Croatian? Croatian. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Antoine, he shared his feedback about why he really likes the podcast because we basically talk about the experiences we have being Asian American in the U.S. and like how it's it demystifies the whole what people think about it because it's not really talked about and really breaking down these walls and making it not uncommon or this like this other thing yeah sorry you guys you what did we say we're drunk (laughs) (laughs) we may have pre-gamed this this episode a little too hard because it's the drunk history episode oh shit i cannot move my tongue in my mouth Well, that's really, that's really sweet that he said that. He, he, he's a big supporter and I really thank him for all his support and everyone else who's supporting us, listening to us, sharing, liking us. And if there's something about the podcast that you want to share with us or want us to cover a little more, let us know. We're totally open to suggestions. Um, thanks, Antoine. And some of the feedback that I've gotten from my friend, Lolo, Lolo, you know who you are. Um, is that you know who has listened to your podcast based on who is wearing shoes in your house. There you go. But first, let's share our hams. Hams are hella Asian moments. These are moments that Asians have when, you know, in case you forgot you're Asian, the world is like, here's a reminder. (laughs) So, uh, Nancy, do you have a ham to share? Yeah, this Uh, episodes all about immigration. So I thought I'd share my ham moment of my road trip from LA to New York City that my sister did with me many moons ago. And it took us about a week. And our first stop we went to was we drove through Arkansas and we stopped at good old KFC. And we ordered food and you know, we don't think anything of it. We live in this white world anyway. So we're used to most people, you know, most people being white and us not being white. Mm-hmm. And we get there and we order and we sit down and my sister looks at me while we're eating and she just looks at me and she's like, Nancy, hurry up. I'm like, what the hell? We just got here. We've been sitting in the car for hours. Like, no, I'm taking my damn time, Angela. And she's like, just hurry up. 
And I was like, and she can see everybody in the dining room and I'm like facing outward. So I'm not seeing all the other patrons. So I went up and I'm like, I'm taking my damn time, Angela. So I get up and I get ketchup. And as I walk back and I'm like looking at the entire dining room, I see that everyone is staring at us. Like staring. And I'm looking back and no one's looking away. So Angela, after I sat down, Angela's like, yeah, let's go. And it's like... I love her reaction. It was like she saw a zombie apocalypse coming and she was like, let's go, let's go. Let's <laughs> hammer some nails into a baseball bat and like, get the fuck out of here. And then the other ham story on this same road trip adventure is when we got to Memphis, we ended up going to Hard Rock. As you do. And we sit down there and we get the waiters. I'm like, oh, what kind of appetizers would you recommend? And he looks at us. We have egg rolls. <gasps> He did not. Yeah. And we're just like... What the fuck? We're like, um, thanks, but we'll get the calamari. (laughs) Egg rolls? Like, I can't even comprehend. Like, question mark? Like, that's the only one we're going to like? I'm like, really? Do you hear an accent in my voice? I don't think so, buddy. Ugh. I just, I just find it's really funny when you like, it's, it's like what we've talked about to other people when people come, or other dating episodes when people are like, I have an Asian friend. And they're just like, great, gold star for you. Good, yeah, good, good for you. Anyway, what about you? Do you have a ham? Yeah, I have a, another, um, travel ham from my recent trip to South America. I was in Bogota, Colombia, and I had met like a bunch of French people at my hostel I was hanging out with. There was like another white American guy that was there too. And then an Asian girl came and she obviously had met this guy in the hostel, but was like obviously like kind of interested in him. I don't, you know, give a shit, but like she was like kind of cool to me, cool to cold. And she was like, uh, yeah, does anybody want to go to dinner? And she, like, asked everyone, like, all the French people, ex- and not me. Like, she made, like, a point of, like, not inviting me. And I was like, uh, like, um, okay. And then, remember I texted you about it later, and you were like, competitive Asians. Mm-hmm. Um, like, she couldn't stand the idea of like another Asian coming with them because then she has to like compete with me over this man I'm like bitch like I don't <laughs> I don't care about this fucking guy from like Washington who cares you know and then I'm like sometimes you run into like these competitive Asians and they have to like be the only Asian they have to be like the best Asian am I right yeah, it's like they're, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I'm used to being that way, being the only Asian among a group of people, but I'm also open to sharing that with other Asians. I think we're both like, we're, you know, as far away from our world as you can get practically, and, you know, we should be like bonding together, like our Asian vacation episode, where we're like, hey, you're Asian, I'm Asian, we have mm-hmm. more in common than we shouldn't fight each other over a, the, a bland fucking white man. I'm sure this wasn't the first and will not be the last time this happened, especially with that woman, whoever that person may be. Ugh. So let's get into drunk histories. What are you drinking, Cindy? I'm drinking bullet bourbon because... Um, Straight? 
on the rocks. Okay. Because um, bullet makes me talkative. Oh, is that how that works? Scientifically proven, um, with, like lots and lots of empirical evidence. Yeah, oh, it makes mm-hmm. me. It gives me like the talks. Oh. Uh, what about you? I'm drinking my go-to vodka soda. Low calorie, but does the job. Efficiency. <laughs> Efficiency, so Asian. I know, right? <laughs> Let's kick this off by talking about how we first bonded. Do you remember that, Cindy? Of course. We were chit-chatting about like where we come from and then we just realized that we had very similar paths about our family history and shared these immigration stories that about our family leaving red china to go to a better world or land and how they escaped uh-huh. and they're like stories that are like ki- like they're kind of unbelievable they're like mythical yeah. in a way but like they're actually true because like we know them from people who experience them exactly and we actually refer to drunk history when we were talking about it it's kind of like a drunk history episode it's kind of absurd but it actually happened <laughs> yeah. it's really funny at it, the same time it's really real So what's your story? My grandmother had told me this story before she passed away at the age of 94. And it was about how she had gotten out of China to Taiwan to meet my grandfather. She was uh, traveling with my grandfather's two brothers and my grandfather's mother, who was infirm. So the mother had to be carried in a wheelbarrow. Oh, dear. Um... And uh, also in this wheelbarrow were two babies, one of which was my mother. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And also underneath the old lady uh, was stacks of gold bullion (laughs) because they were leaving from Shanghai. And I guess the communists had paid her uh, for their townhouse so they could take it over. So underneath the old lady and the two babies were like was like a bunch of gold. And they walked with this wheelbarrow, pushing this wheelbarrow for two weeks. I remember she said that every day they would have to buy new shoes because they would wear out the shoes that they were wearing. And when I think about like things like that, I think about how we have it so I know, easy. I know. That's exactly it's what I like, was thinking. It's ridiculous like to have to like walk for weeks in probably like with like tons of migrants trying to get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like I think before this they were kind of well off, but like communism, communism just like leveled everything. It's like level sets it, right? Yep. And so they were like amongst the lucky ones actually that were able to get out. Yeah, I think uh, I agree. I agree. When you hear stories like that, you're you kind of wonder how people actually did it. Like you hear it. You're like, how did they actually go through with it? But I guess if the two options is staying in in China and uh, losing everything or going somewhere else, a bit of better life, I guess the latter. So thank you, grandma. Right. And thank you. to Thanks, all the Popo. People. Yeah. Popo. That's a. Uh, is that your mom, your dad's, your mother's mom's. mom? So I already know your immigration story, but it's still amazing every time I hear it. What was your story? Well, 
My story was about a chef. Like, you guys know my parents owned restaurants. And one of our chefs, his name is Jimmy. He was a chef for my dad for a while. But my dad shared a story about how Jimmy actually escaped China. And Jimmy. 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 Jimmy was great. Jimmy worked for my dad for mm. over 20 years. So Jimmy actually was in China. He was in South China, so kind of close to Hong Kong, right? So that was where a lot of people were going. Hong Kong was actually not part of China at the time, was still with the, the British. So a lot of people were trying to get there. And so what Jimmy did was slowly <laughs> start collecting, what do you think, ping pong balls. <laughs> like, you know, at the time, it was a readily available prop, like item that he could get. Like, ping pong was a very popular sport in China. So he started collecting them. Now, the, now I don't know how many days or like, was it 30 days? Was it one week? Was it six months? I don't know. But eventually he got enough that he felt like he could put them together and collect <laughs> Collect them and make a raft. <laughs> yes, people, a raft. Because what was he doing with that raft of ping pong balls? He was trying to float to Hong Kong. He was trying to float the fuck out of there. Yep. I, I assume it's in some kind of net, like a net, net to keep bag. it together. It could A bag or, or something. I, I don't know if he brought anything with him. I don't and also, I don't know why, but when I picture it, it's like the orange ping pong balls, but it probably wasn't. It, wasn't. it, it probably, probably wasn't, wasn't, but just like in my imagination, it was. It'd be great because then he'd probably be able to be viewed by Coast Guards quicker because it's like that orange. Right. That bright orange. So he'd be like high vis. But the sad point in the story is, is that the ping pongs didn't work the first time. He, I don't know if he got pulled in by the Chinese. Probably not because he'd probably get arrested. So I think it just probably didn't work. I think it had to do something with he didn't have enough balls. He like sunk. It wasn't enough. So then, you know, talk about tenacity. He goes back and he starts collecting ping pong balls again. <laughs> All over again. All over again. And I guess he collects enough that this second attempt was successful. That he actually floated his way to Hong Kong via ping pong the thing that like gets me is just like the idea that you failed one time and then you tried it again. Yeah. Like that's fucking resilience. Yeah, for okay? sure. I, if that happened to me, I'd be like, oops, uh, shit didn't work. Uh, Gotta do something else. Try something else. Like, change yeah. Change the plan, not just redo nope. it. No, he was like, this is going to happen. But I'm just really happy Jimmy was successful because he then came over to the States and, uh, now it's history. He he brought joy into my life. So Aww. thank you, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. And so on that note, we wanted to, you know, first share our immigration stories from our family of how they escaped the motherland. And we really wanted to learn more about how the Chinese immigrated to America. Because, like, to be honest, I didn't know much except what my parents told me of how they got here. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So we felt that we should start understanding how did the first Chinese people immigrate, migrate over to America? I mean, it's really fucking far. China's far. Even on a plane, it's over 20 hours in a plane. That's a plane. Yep. So we did a little homework and we looked things up. But first, I wanted to make sure we, yeah, 
that's the beauty of when you keep refilling the same glass. You don't actually know how much you drank. It's funny because this is a LaCroix. I wasn't going to share it with our listeners, but <laughs> I was trying to give you street cred. <laughs> By the way, I had like the biggest burp of my life. Like it came from like my root sacrum. Okay. Like Nancy heard it. It didn't get on tape, but it was the best, most grounding burp of my life. It was so grounding. I think my laptop shaped. <laughs> Or it's just a vibration from the audio sound of it made it seem like the laptop was shaking. I'm pretty sure it like burst the ceiling on all the sound recording. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, we wanted to make sure we address the obvious. If you're Asian and listening, you clearly know this term, a fob, fresh off the boat, which nowadays after the 80s, that kind of uh, morphed in from fob to fop fresh off the plane. Because really, who came over on a boat after the 80s? My parents are prime examples. My dad came over in 1969. He was getting his master's at University of Texas, Austin. Go Longhorns! Woo! And he actually was getting his uh, master's in mechanical engineering. And um, it was mainly due to the fact that in the U.S., they were fighting the Vietnam War. So a lot of the uh, pl- classrooms or universities weren't full to capacity because the students were fighting the war. So they opened up their doors to students and they opened it, their doors up to Taiwanese students where my dad was, you know, my dad it was in Taiwan at the time. He graduated, met my mom in Chi- uh, Taiwan and then came over. So boom, my mom got here. And then that's how me and my sister got here. So thank you, dad and mom and dad. I really appreciate it. Um, what about you, Cindy? How did your parents come over to the U.S.? Uh, my dad came over during like the war period. And that's why when I had like friends in high school that had like parents with like a lot of like record albums and like this kind of stuff, I was like, how come you don't have like a ton of records? And he was like, when I was in college, I was trying to like study my ass off so I could avoid getting drafted into the Vietnam War. And I'm like, okay, that ended that conversation. (laughs) That's, that's okay. Exactly. So to get ready for this historical lesson about Chinese immigration to America, we wanted to find fascinating stories to share with y'all. And to be honest, I don't think most of you all know about how we got here. Because I didn't. So I just want to give you a quick rundown of like how we got here, like the first Chinese people that got here. And it all started back in the 1850s. You know, in China, they were going through these crazy economic chaos. No one was having money. People didn't have food. So they all like flocked over to America trying to see if they could try their luck at the gold rush, right? But what ended up happening was that the gold rush ended and then... There was all these Chinese people that had no jobs. So basically they picked up cheap labor jobs, like the standard laundromat type of job, or even what most people know as railroad workers. And then in 1870s, there was a massive depression and the jobs were scarce in the U.S. And what happened, like this is standard, when there's job scarcity and people don't have security... They usually blame the people that don't look like them, which in this case were the Chinese. And then what happened Mm -hmm. in 1882 was Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Act. Now, what does that mean? 
they basically banned any immigration coming from China. And that didn't get repealed until 1942. I'm Chinese, so I can do the math really quick. 60 years <laughs> later. For 60 years, no Chinese person immigrated to the U.S. for 60 years because of this act. And not until World War II, China became an ally of America. So we can't support you and not let you in. So they let us in eventually. And so I wanted to tell you the story a little bit of how that happened. And it all started with a lovely man named JFK. Now, everyone knows who JFK is. He was not only the hottest president we had or have. Mm, we can give some to Obama. No, I was just going to say that. <sighs> I was just going to say that Obama's also pretty hot. But anyway... It all started back in 1957. To remind you guys, the Chinese Exclusion Act was passed in 1882. We are now in 1957. Chinese people still could not immigrate over here. And so the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, asked JFK to write, write something and publish something about immigration policy. Because at the time, the immigration policy was basically only allowing people from certain countries to come over. That was it. A.K.A. white people. Correct. Europeans. And just to remind you, JFK at the time is a senator of Massachusetts. He is not the president. A hot, a hot senator. A hot senator. The next year, JFK wrote a book entitled A Nation of Immigrants, where he really spoke about how diverse culture and population is a good thing. Like, what is America really based upon? We're a country full of immigrants, mm -hmm. which is ironic now because where are we now? That was back in 1958. We are now in 2018. And this topic is still being discussed. Yep. We're trying to cut people out based off of where they come from because that I means mean, anything. I mean, it's not dissimilar, yeah, to what's happening today. And just imagine if, like, DACA was repealed and, like, there was no hope for anybody for 60 years I and mean, completely changed the landscape of America. It, yeah. And could you imagine if that didn't even happen? Like, where that would have been? We wouldn't have even been here. Yep. So at the time when this was happening in the late 50s, Americans claimed that foreigners just can't learn English. <laughs> or they said that they didn't seem interested in assimilating in American culture. Like, what is American culture? Who are you to define it? reason people came over to America was because of religious persecution, political oppression and like you know economic hardships that they were facing in their homeland or their motherland or their country where they're coming from right so who are we to tell them that they have to assimilate with american culture like america's all about a melting pot no and we that's what's so amazing about this country it's not based off of everyone was born here and then we're just a bunch of different generations we were trailblazers that we're willing to, you know, risk it all to hopefully get a better life. And so then it's just disheartening to hear that during this time that there were so many Americans that were backlashing against this and really thinking like America, uh, America. <laughs> was what they needed them to assimilate to American culture. I just think that's complete bullshit. Right. Anyway, yeah. I think it's just so interesting. Unless you're a Native American, 
you are not an indigenous person of America. Yeah. Fast forward to 1963. JFK is actually the president at this time. And he goes in front of Congress and addresses them about how immigration policy must change. He felt strongly that it shouldn't be based upon where you come from, because what does that really tell you? It's based upon what people can bring to this country. It's about their skills, the talents that they have that this country may need, and also about family. There may be people that have family that are already in America that they want to be together. And who are you to not let families come together, right? It shouldn't be against where you come from, but it should be based upon what they offer and also if they have family ties here. It's really sad, though, because shortly thereafter, later that year in 63, we all know Kennedy was assassinated. And Mm -hmm. I think he fought for a lot in this country. And what I was doing a lot of the reading, yes, he pushed the immigration policy, but it wasn't just for Chinese. It was for a lot of different groups that were being kind of cut out of not being allowed to come to the U.S. Luckily, President Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson... Okay, let's be honest. Not as hot. Not as hot. Exactly. Not as hot. hot. But he did sign the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965. And he thanked JFK for his vision. Because without JFK pushing this narrative in the public eye, who knows what would have happened, right? Or what could have happened if you and I would have been here, if... Who knows? It was already 60 years. Who's to say it wouldn't be another 100 years? So Yeah, I mean, my parents always said that JFK paved the way for them to come over. So I'm pretty sure, like, we wouldn't have been born. And if we wouldn't have been born, there would be no two creations. And that would have been a really sad world. That's a tragedy. But we like to give a little clap for JFK. Thanks, JFK. We know he wasn't a perfect president, right? He had a little side activities. And, you know, but I just like to say that he shared the vision that America was based on and should embrace diversity and equal opportunity for all. And that's what America is all about. And I think talking about that, we should really think about conversations that are happening now in America. And remember that this is what this country is about. It's about bringing people of different countries and cultures and thought in one place and respecting them. I learned a lot. I didn't know about this history and I didn't know I have to be giving JFK a high five up there because without him. High five. You're not just an airport. You're a man (laughs) who did shit. Yeah, you're not just an airport. I hope that you are able to learn from this too, Cindy. I didn't know about it, so I hope hopefully my research and my storytelling gave you some more insights about how Chinese people first immigrated over here and how we got here. Oh my god, it's so amazing. It's like not make America great again, but like make America Asian again. Just let everybody in. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Just be Asian, everyone. Fuck. <laughs> So next on Drunk Asian History, we're going to talk about a different kind of immigration story. Today we have the history of Bruce Lee. Ooh, he's also another hottie. Oh my God, he was so hot. Okay, 
Bruce Lee was born in 1940. He is the son of a Chinese opera singer father and a half white mother. Wait, With, what? Yeah, he's not a hundred percent. Nope, <gasps> he is a quarter white. His mother reported that she was half English. I know. Are you? Is your mind blown? I. I. Oh my god. I'm blown. I had no idea. He was actually born in San Francisco. Oh, but his parents went back them. to Hong Kong when he was just like a three month old baby, and he was raised there until his late teens. He was like getting into like all kinds of fights when he was like a teenager. He was fighting on rooftops. He was fighting in the streets, and then he started training with this guy named Yip Man. And at the time, a lot of his students refused to spar with Bruce Lee because he was of mixed ancestry. Oh my god! So there was this whole thing about like not teaching Westerners or foreigners like their secrets of kung fu, you know? So, but doesn't um, kung fu come from Chinese people anyway? Yeah. Oh, but because he's a quarter. He's a quarter. So he was still getting into fights, and then he like beat up someone from some triad, and they were like, "You need to get the fuck out of Hong Kong because like we don't know if we can protect you anymore." So him and his family moved back to the U.S., and then he starts a bunch of martial arts schools. And his policy was to let anyone into school, like white, black, Asian. Like, it didn't matter to him. He was like, anyone can have this knowledge. But the Sifus in Chinatown and SF had a problem with this. They're like, we can't let the white devil have, like, these secrets. So, like, they challenged him one time, and they had, like, a formal challenge in his studio in Oakland. And his wife, uh, Linda, a white lady, was there, um, and she was eight months pregnant. And she said that Bruce Lee pretended to accept a handshake from the challenger mm-hmm. who's like this master sifu and instead of like actually shaking hands with him he struck him in the face within three minutes he pinned this guy to the ground and he was like do you give up because his premise was just that it's not about formalities it's not about like practiced uh, predictable events it's about like what's actually going to get you to your end result he starts to teach martial arts in a way that has never been seen in america at this time there had been like competitions in which it was non-contact and like touches that you would score on opponents would be judged by like a panel of judges and they would be like this is what would have happened if you know this was a real fight but like Bruce Lee came from like the streets of Hong Kong and he was like I fought on rooftops. I fought in the streets. And, like, this is not how it really is. And he was like, this is bullshit. And he called it organized despair. And he called it dry land swimming. And, like, he started to look into physics. And he started looking at, like, European fencing and boxing to, like, you know, basically make it, make fighting the most efficient it can be as far as, like, taking down your opponent without a lot of, like, demonstration or, um, like, a lot of flourishes or things you don't need. By, like, 1970... He's being sought after by celebrities. He's doing one finger push ups, you know, and demonstrations. He's like, oh, 1970 hurts his back. 
So for six months, his doctors say he has to stay in bed. And like, this is horrible for someone like Bruce Lee. He's like, I just really want to do Kung Fu. But he's like, I'm going to use this time to study in bed. So he studies different types of martial arts. He studies different religions, philosophies, and like psychology. And like, he actually comes back better than ever. He gets into believing like yourself is like all you need to know. It's like looking within the soul is knowing yourself honestly. It's not about the method or like a system of tricks you need to know because those are all like predictable. It's about like knowing your own limitations and adapting to the situations. So he has like this total epiphany. And he decides that, like, he needs to bring, like, this truth to the world. But, like, the way he's doing it with, like, his different martial arts schools, that's going to be, like, a little too slow. So he decides that he's going to bring it to Hollywood. Oh. But he immediately starts to have some difficulties. They want to cast him as, like, this kind of, like, pigtail, like, chop, 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 like, chop suey. <laughs> You know, like, stereotype. And he's like, yeah, like, I'm not into that. Like, that's that's not cool. That's not, like, who I am. And so he starts to, like, do some writing. And he thought up this series, which later would become the show Kung Fu, starring him. Mm -hmm. But then they took his series idea and they started a white Caucasian dude. David Carradine. No. Yeah. So it was his idea and they took it from him and they put a white guy in it. That doesn't even make sense. Like having a kung fu show with a white guy. So he came up across a bunch of bigotry. Mm. Um, they didn't hire him for his own show, which is some bullshit. I think that's complete bullshit. And, and he refused to play these stereotype roles. So he was like, fuck this shit. And he was like, I'm going to go back to Hong Kong and I'm going to like see what I can do there. Well, he went back to Hong Kong and unbeknownst to him, when he had played Kato in The Green Hornet, a TV show in America, mm-hmm. it had become like a huge success in Hong Kong and he didn't know. So these producers were like, oh my God, you're a huge star. Like we want to give you a bunch of huge movie deals. So he did The Big Boss. A huge success. He did um, Fist of Fury, another huge success. And then he started to, like, direct his own shit. He's like, this is it. This is, like, my dream is coming true. Like, I want to bring um, martial arts and Eastern philosophy to the masses. Um, and the only way that I can do it is, like, in Hong Kong. So, 1972, he starts to film Enter the Dragon, which Warner Brothers asked him to do from Hong Kong because he's gotten so big there that the American companies are interested in funding, like, a huge project for him. And the reason this is amazing is because, like, he left the U.S. because they didn't believe in him. And they didn't believe in, like, an Asian man, like, leading a movie. Here we are, 1972, and they're like, we want you to star in this movie and direct it and produce it and write it. And he's like, what? 
He's like, what? Okay. So then, six days before the release of Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee died of somewhat mysterious circumstances. Oh. And he never got to see what a huge movie it became. He never got to see his other huge movie finish, Game of Death. And he died at the age of 32. He changed the way that Asians were portrayed in film. He changed the way that, like... um Asians were accepted in America and like he ushered in like this huge wave of martial arts films that would never have happened and he's like probably like the most famous Asian still in the world even though that was like in the 70s. He made it possible for like people like you and me to be asked like when we're, we're in elementary school like are you related to Bruce Lee and for us to answer like yes. I am related to Bruce Lee because in a way we are related to Bruce Lee, all of us. Yeah, that's it. That's my story. I find it really interesting. I don't really know much about Bruce Lee. And to be honest, I used to tell people that Bruce Lee was my uncle. He's like one of my personal heroes and I love him. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bruce Lee. Even though you're not really my uncle, I'll keep telling people you are. Anywho, after we've learned about the immigration story of, of the Chinese folks coming to America, uh, we learned about how they got here or how they weren't allowed here for a while. And then we also learned about Bruce Lee and how he was a trailblazer for us. So I think uh, we can wrap it up now and say thank you to everybody for listening. Yeah, thanks everyone for our 10th episode. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at Two Creations. Like us on Facebook, review us on iTunes, and we would love it if you could tell a friend. I'm sure that you know a Croatian that needs to hear this podcast. Hopefully this drunk Asian history version was fun. We may have slurred a little and clanked a couple glasses on the way but uh i had a lot of fun i don't know about you cindy i mean i had a good ass time so until next time bye bye love bye love